I feel the need. The need for a podcast exploring the career and filmography of Tom Cruise. Welcome to Cruise Views. That is actually the movie that that quote is, is from now as well. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Cruise Views, a podcast in which we go through all of Tom Cruise's movies from Endless Love to Top Gun Maverick and beyond, potentially. I am Tom Ashford and joining me today, as always, is a maverick who can be my wingman anytime, Adam Scott Glasspool. They are getting worse and worse. Yes. Uh, yeah, we've moved on to uh, 1986 now, right? Uh, we've Top Gun, a little known Tom Cruise film. Uh, and to, 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 to discuss this hidden gem, we're joined by journalist, columnist and podcaster, Laura Kelly. Hello, thank you very much for having me. I feel it's quite an, a sort of a momentous film to join you for as, as my debut visit on the podcast, so I feel very special for that. This is the first, like, uh, the first big Tom Cruise film, I think. Like, like R- Risky Business is pretty... I need to call it Ricky Business. I'm not um, Ricky Business. <laughs> That's his character's name, Laura, just so you know. Yes. Ricky Business. Good, good. excellent knowledge. Um, uh, th- this is the first one that's like, okay, Tom Cruise is like a super mega star. What's your relationship like with Tom Cruise? Well, you know, we were lovers for those few years. No. Okay. <laughs> wow. I thought we were getting no, a scoop. I'm not... <laughs> So this is where I lay my cards on the table. Uh, I actually have never been a fan of Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise to me kind of um, is a man who I would define myself in opposition to. So I, I kind of see all of my 80s heroes are the people who were the opposite to Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is like this clean cut guy. He's, you know, I mean, we're going to get into the homoeroticism and the militarism later, but oh, yes, uh, he's, so. he's, um, he's very much that guy that I wouldn't have been friends with in school. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. I, so, so who is the opposite of, of Tom Cruise from your 80s heroes? I'm a big Tim Burton kind of a person. So you're looking at the kind of those sorts of like Beetlejuice characters or, I mean, She's obviously a woman, so but, but like Winona in Beetlejuice is who I wanted to be, and I feel like she would not have been friends with Tom Cruise in school. So that's, and no. that, I'm, I'm aware that's a strange way to work out whether you like someone or not. But I first saw this film whenever I was very, very young, so there's there's a reason why I kind of think about it in those terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say, like, when did you first become aware of Tom Cruise? Was it was it this movie? So I. I would have been, I mean, I was still very young whenever this came out, but I do remember seeing it when I was still in primary school. So yeah, this wow. is this is the first time that I see Tom Cruise and kind of, and see what, I mean, he does have, I, I can't deny, he has absolutely massive movie star charisma. He, I mean, he absolutely does. The camera loves this man. Yeah. But yeah, he's just, it's so clean cut. It's so perfect that I find that actually a little troubling to get to grips with. <laughs> it's almost so, like an uncanny valley thing, right? Yeah. 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 It's, <laughs> it's like, it's a, my mother has this great phrase that she uses about um, people who are just a bit too attractive. And I'm not, I'm not sure if he's attractive enough to quite get this, but he certainly has the movie star charisma to have it, which is, it's a bit painful on the eyes. And Tom Cruise, to me, is a little painful on the ice. Wow. 
<laughs> I mean, we'll tell him that when he comes is... on the show. <laughs> oh yeah, hopefully he should be any any week now. He'll be on this show. Um, yeah, I completely get that. Uh, and and this is the a movie where he's doing so much uh, as well. This is not uh, you know spoiler alert for my thoughts on the movie. Not his most subtle performance, I reckon. There is precisely zero <laughs> subtle about this film. There, there well, is, there yeah. is no subtlety. But is it is that kind of the essence of Tom Tom Cruise to you? Is is that who he is? That sort of like hyper charismatic, clean cut guy, or is there any any room for manoeuvre within that? Well, of course there is that. There's the strange um, juxtaposition between that. And then you think of the kind of the jumping on the sofa scene, the very, very famous jumping on the sofa moment, right, yeah. where he also seems to be really quite unhinged, <laughs> which, which is a strange thing to have um, yeah. alongside that kind of, that we can hold both those thoughts about him in our heads quite comfortably, I think. Uh, and, and think that they're both very much true. I think that's what makes him uh, such an attractive prospect as a movie star because he's so watchable and then outside of the screen he's so weird that there's something like attractive about that. You kind of want to unravel the mystery that is Tom Cruise, not to be too uh, poetic about about Tom Cruise. Um, why this movie though? Why Top Gun? I gave you a list of movies and, and you, you picked out Top Gun. Because I think that this is the moment that Tom Cruise becomes Tom Cruise. So, and mm. I think that that's a fascinating thing because, to my mind, there, very rarely in the rest of his career does he do anything that's wildly different from this. There are only a really a few handful of films where he is not Tom Cruise, like the banner name, top of the, you know, top of the kind of, I, I guess, top of your cinema billing is this big Tom Cruise shiny persona. And he finds that in this film. This is, this is the moment whenever we see that he can do that. Uh, and then, and so in many ways, I mean, I know later on we're going to possibly rank this for, for the Tom Cruise-iness, but uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> I think this is the most Tom cruise that Tom Cruise ever is. Whoa. It's just the the kind of, the err of what Tom Cruise is, is in yeah. this movie. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that. This is, before we started this podcast, this is the earliest Tom Cruise film that I had already seen. Uh, and this is our, this is the eighth film in his filmography? yes. Right. Yes. So I was actually really surprised that all of the stuff before this, he is not the clean cut, very shiny Tom Cruise. He has quite a lot of interesting range, especially in things like Risky Business. And I mean, he's absolutely insane in Taps. Yeah. Uh, and he's very straightforward in things like Losing It, even though it's a terrible film. Um, and then he hits Top Gun. And I, th- I, I've got it written down in my notes somewhere, but this is the first of the films where it's like the plot of the film is Tom Cruise is good at something, and then something happens where he can no longer do that thing, and then he has to get back to be able to do that thing. At which point, he's very good at doing that thing. Yeah, right. Like that's, that's basically the next few Tom Cruise movies we've got because we've got Color of Money and we've got. Days of Thunder and, and Cocktail. To a degree, we've got Rain Man and Cocktail coming up. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but we're getting like way ahead of ourselves because this film was released in 1986 on like May the 16th. So it was positioned as a blockbuster. It's weird stepping back in time and researching this stuff because there's still like huge long gaps in release dates. So the UK gets it in October 1986, so, which you would never see now. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be like the same day globally just because of, of piracy and stuff. Um, and it's directed by Tony Scott, the brother of the director of last week's film, Legend. Yeah. Tom did the double. He did both brothers. Incredible. <laughs> I don't really know what my point is. <laughs> just, just, has, has anyone ever done that? Well, Adam, do you... Th- worked with a film director and then worked with their, their film directing brother? Well, do you think that um, Tony Scott saw uh, Tom Cruise's performance in Legend and went... No. Ridley, could you give me Cruise's number? Because uh... no, I absolutely don't think that that's what happened. <laughs> can you give me Tom Cruise's number so I can block it? I think it's probably where that conversation went. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tony Scott had only directed like one movie before this, The Hunger. Have you, have you seen The Hunger? No. The Hunger, I have a bit of time for. Have it's you an, seen it? I haven't yeah, seen it. It's a strange film. It, it, like it's a strange film, but it's got... It's yeah, it's it's it, and it's peculiar because it's completely, in many ways, it's the opposite of of Top Gun because it's this like very strange, quite slow, not you know like bizarre kind of film, not anywhere near what you would call a blockbuster. I mean, I guess the only things that that pull them together are the the beauty of them, like the the absolute the of perfection the of the look of it, yeah, and it just the colors and everything like that. You can see that influence running through them, but otherwise, you would be—you'd uh, be hard pushed to guess it was the same director. I think. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the hunger is like a romantic, sexy vampire movie with David Bowie. Yeah. So, so that's gone straight onto my watch list. Basically, like I'm yeah. going to be seeking that out uh, immediately uh, after this. Obviously, like Tony Scott is a hot prospect after Top Gun. He goes on to do Beverly Hills Cop Two, True Romance, Enemy of the State, Man on Fire. And of course, teams back up with Tom Cruise uh, for uh, Days of Thunder. So it's kind of an early example of that thing where Tom Cruise um, like finds a guy and kind of sticks with that guy, like in the same way that we have Christopher uh, McQuarrie, uh, who does everything that Tom Cruise is, is involved in these days, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's written by Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr., who went on to write Anaconda, which absolutely tracks. That completely makes sense. Uh, and... Last of the boring uh, admin, Tom Cruise is the star. He's top build. Then it's an inexplicably second build, Tim Robbins. I've got no idea what he's doing that high uh, in the billing order. I can only think he has a really good agent. Right, it must yeah. be. It must be that. Because he's. I didn't even notice if he had any fucking lines in the movie. Uh, then it's Kelly McGillis, who should obviously be second build. Then Val Kilmer, and this is his like first big film and only his second ever film. Uh, and Anthony Edwards and Tom Skerritt. And this is definitely, like we say, Tom Cruise's first giant movie. It's like so big. And it's also the first one that he's kind of intimately involved with the development of. Um, so it's based on like this 1983 article by uh, Ehud Yonay. Details the life of fighter pilots. It was picked up by producer Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson. It was turned down by a bunch of writers, uh, but Cash and Epps took it. They went. They did loads of training. Sounds quite fun to have been a writer on this movie. Um, uh, it's interesting you were talking about uh, how you were kind of into uh, the opposite of, of the Tom Cruises of the world, because originally this was offered to Matthew Modine, uh, who I would count as 
one of the opposites of Tom Cruise. Um, Modine turned it down because of the pro-military vibe, which was kind of against his politics. And he, of course, then went on to star in Full Metal Jacket, which is a film that's very critical of the military. Jerry Bruckheimer had to do a little bit of convincing to get Tom Cruise to sign on to the film. Um, So part of that was they took Tom up in an F-14 and they do like 5Gs and barrel rolls and everything and Tom Cruise ends up throwing up on the pl- on the plane and he's landing and he's like heaving and he immediately runs to a phone and says I'm in I'm doing the movie I love it this is great so I read as well that that he showed up uh with the long hair uh that he had from the from the previous movie from Legend. Oh. So this is this is what I read that he had showed up with the long hair and so the the pilots who were bringing him up basically said we're going to show this hippie <laughs> what, <laughs> what a film what it really is like to be up on a plane and because he had the long hair they kind of misread famous who Tom hippie Cruise was. Tom yeah. Cruise famous free spirit Tom Cruise. <laughs> That's great. Which, I mean, even if that's not true, I think it's such a great story. I'm going to stick with it. Yeah, it's true now. Uh, Those are all of the things. That's also all the things I love about Tom Cruise is there's so much stuff that patently isn't true, but because it's Tom Cruise, it must be true. Uh, And and, and yeah, they, they had like the help and the approval of the Navy from really early on, which actually resulted in the script being changed. They like toned down bad language. They moved some locations to international waters to be like less politically charged and um and a few other things that we'll kind of pick out uh as as we go through. Uh for me, obviously the star of the movie, other than Tom Cruise, is like the planes and the incredible real life aerial photography. And I'm wondering if that is like such a stereotypical guy who watches Top Gear kind of thing where I am like playing against type and just sat here going like oh look at the look at the planes going fast <laughs> oh look at them I don't know did you guys have that same reaction or is that just me um yeah I think yeah I, I I'm obviously not a huge like manly manly man 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 uh and we have long hippie hair don't long you? hippie like hair Cruise. yeah I'm 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 Tom Cruise from Legend <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Put some trousers on. <laughs> oh, I'm just a green man of the forest, Adam. Okay, cool. Um, but no, I, I still find it really, you know, it's really enjoyable to watch play. It's the same sort of thing as why you could watch a scene in Star Wars with with spaceships flying around, and it's just CGI, but it's still enjoyable to watch, even though there's no actual like character or you know personal stakes in the ships, like. But this is real, so yeah, it's even it's more impressive. It's like it's a spectacle, but it's real. That's the thing is, it's not CGI, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it it all just looks cool as fuck. I don't know. When- Women's perspective, Laura, is that just me and Tom being like, oh, planes? I mean, I very, very, very much don't like to give the typical female point of view on anything. But I I gotta say, I I really just don't have the hots for the hardware. I really don't. (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you for speaking for all women on that uh, matter. And we. (laughs) <laughs> All women now say no, no to no planes. To planes. <laughs> I'll, I'll t- Joe, who I think the real star of this film is. This is this is going to be the first of my maverick takes. It is Anthony Edwards. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay, really? I love him in it, and always did. 
from the first moment I, I the first time I saw this film, I remember being like, that's the guy. He seems mm. human. He has human relationships. At least one woman is able to stay in the room with him for longer than 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, th- all of these things. <laughs> He's, he is less of a walking red flag. Yeah, that's yeah. really true. I, I think that is a very deliberate move, right, to make you feel even more uh, emotional about his uh, untimely demise. Spoilers. He, they have to play him as... I'm so sorry. I assumed we'd all seen it, Tom. You've not watched it <laughs> No, yet. no, I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> I'm halfway through now. <laughs> um, uh, I think they have to make him come across as, like, the nicest guy in the world, I think. Which, I mean, Anthony Edwards seems to be the nicest guy in the world, if, if you know, if that's the case, because he does a good job of it, yeah. For Tom Cruise personally... This is is an interesting time. Uh, just this is the first time it's actually worth going into any of the context of Tom Cruise's career. We haven't really done that on any episode so far because it's not terribly interesting. But this this time period has some uh, some real juice to it. Some some Cruise juice. Oh no! Um, <laughs> Don't bring the Cruise crew uh, back. <laughs> as he becomes more famous and like certainly after Risky Business and Legend more attention is obviously paid towards his private life and by this point he had dated uh, Rebecca De Mornay who he is co-star in Risky Business and Cher which is a fucking weird uh, pairing um, and of course when he's developing this movie he meets uh, Mimi Rogers in, in 1985 and they begin dating and Cruz, Cruz has described the relationship like quite sweetly but there's a really interesting quote from Rogers from like many years down the line after they get divorced that maybe someone kind of said hey you're famous and he's famous and you guys should be seen to be dating someone so why not date each other and there is some suggestion that it's kind of a, a profile boost sort of relationship uh, I don't have the scoop on that I just thought that was uh, an interesting quote uh, and either way Mimi Rogers is the person that introduces Tom Cruise to the world of Scientology uh, around the time that this film came out um, I think we'd all seen this film before right before doing this podcast yes absolutely yeah though it should be noted that I only saw it for the first time two or three years ago I only saw it for the first time two or three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find that fascinating. Are you both much younger than me? Is this what's happening here? I am just about to turn 33. Yes, you are a good bit younger than me. I turn 40 tomorrow. Oh my goodness. Wow. Well, happy this birthday is for the, tomorrow. The last act of my, of my 30s is joining wow. me in this podcast. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is the, the final so sorry. death knell to the 30s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Being on a podcast with two white men. Talking yeah. about Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very classic move for me. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, that, that maybe does track then. That it's just that little bit. Um, you know, I'm just a little bit older and it was still in heavy, heavy rotation as like one of those. It was one of those films that you had to have seen whenever I was growing up. Absolutely had to have. It's quite an, an iconic film, right? Like um, The Godfather. Tom, I know you haven't seen The Godfather, but you have actually probably seen The Godfather. Yeah, I've definitely seen chunks of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just from like parodies or clips shown or things that have just sort of seeped into the culture. Top Gun is one of those. It's basically like kind of the 80s movie in a, in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, certainly like the 80s blockbuster 
maybe, right? I can't think of anything that would... I, I think the reason that I didn't watch until recently was because it was so big and hyped. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, it, I got put off by the fact it was a really big, popular 1980s film. And that just sort of struck me as, well, I'm not going to like it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, for me, 80s, not my favourite decade for uh, for cinema, I don't think. I don't know if you guys share that opinion. Well, there was Predator. Well, I, yeah, I still think of myself. I mean, I am. I do think of myself as an 80s child. So there's a lot of the 80s stuff that I love. But yes, it's definitely... There is a this there is a large seam of it that is very shiny blockbuster land. Oh, I mean, it's like being assaulted by the 1980s. Like, let, let let's start the film because the opening is like yeah. the most 80s opening of anything with these hyper like zoomed Tony Scott orange backlit prep of planes, and then a plane takes off and fucking Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins starts, and you're just like. I mean, my reaction for the first time I saw it was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> the, the ju- like, what could this possibly be? The jump in, like, my enjoyment, even the second time round, from before Danger Zone kicks in and after Danger Zone kicks in, it literally went from, like, this is a 2 out of 10 film from the initial <laughs> opening shots. It, look, it looks dramatic, but it's so 80s and so generic. And then yeah. as soon as Danger Zone kicks in and all the planes start taking off and landing, it was like, okay, this is 10 out of 10 now. Well, it's because it signifies what, Tom? It signifies that you're in the danger zone. Yeah. And that's an exciting place to be. And there are four or five moments in this movie where that song starts playing and you realise, oh, I'm inside the danger zone. But there's no right. way to know for sure that you're not in the danger zone. That's true. <laughs> it's like Schrodinger's danger zone. Yeah. I feel like this film will play the song for you. I, I don't think this film is going to leave you in any doubt about whether or not you're in the danger zone at any given moment. Yeah, that's it's true. That's also that true. Right out for you. Though, though ironically, not played during the one time when they are actually in any danger. Yeah, I know. It's a different Kenny looking song, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it like playing with the boys? If somebody something? dies, yeah. nah, not danger zone. If someone's going up against five MIGs, not in the danger zone. Someone's <laughs> taken off from an aircraft carrier with a full team of professionals looking after you. Danger zone. Danger zone. Better watch out. Uh, I mean, you are always five minutes from either having just heard or about to hear Danger Zone or Take My Breath Away. Yeah. Th- those are the two songs that they had the rights to, I think. The cheesiest <laughs> because... 1980s song to put in a film ever. Well, I mean, it was written specifically for the film, uh, Take My Breath Away. Uh, but they, they wait to use it so late that I forgot. I, I forgot it was part of the film. Anyway. There's this very dynamic opening. The lighting is very, very cool. Like inside the control tower on the ship or wherever it is they are. I'm going to warn you right now, Laura, I'm terrible at character names. Um, (laughs) Understanding what's going on. And I'm especially bad at military ranks. So this film uh, might as well be a different language to me. Because I never know where anybody is, what their job title is, or what their name is. (laughs) I've got so, somebody written down as boss pilot later. Okay, boss pilot. Boss okay. pilot. <laughs> okay. Is that is that Captain Mr. Boss Pilot or <laughs> Well there's boss pirate and there's be- pirate pilot. He's a pirate yeah, now. Yeah, he's a pilot. <laughs> I didn't see this cut of the film. Yeah. 
It's weird when a galleon comes out of the sky, but yeah, that is bizarre. That is really weird. We're introduced to what well, this is the one character fucking name that I do know. We're introduced to Maverick flying a plane, investigating Russian MiGs, which made me really question: When did the Cold War actually end? Does anybody know? Was it like nineties? I'm well, terrible at history as well. I mean. You could argue, certainly, that the Cold War ends with the fall of the Berlin Wall, which is 1989. 1989 is when I was born, so forgive me for... I, I only pay attention to things that happen while I was alive. <laughs> well, Adam, Adam, <laughs> I was born in 1988. So you're aware of the fall of the Berlin yeah, Wall? Yeah, I'm very... I remember okay. seeing Hasselhoff on the wall. Yeah, okay. I've never heard of it before. This is all news to me. Um <laughs> All of the flying stuff, it like feels really dangerous, obviously helped by the fact that we are aware that we're in the danger zone. Um, it's the Star Wars cockpit trick, though, right, where it's close-ups of the actors and then the flying is, is, is other people, which I imagine is going to be the attraction, now that Tom Cruise is a madman, that the sequel will be, oh, that's Tom Cruise flying a fighter jet. I was going to ask, is, is that actually the case? Because like, it seems like the logical conclusion of Tom Cruise's career. Well, no, the logical conclusion is the movie he's doing after uh, the Mission Impossible ones, which is the one that's going to be filmed in space. Yeah, the one where he's going to burn up on re-entry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that'll It'll be... be the end of Tom Cruise's career, but he'll have achieved everything he wants exactly, to achieve. Yeah. Um, you get a pretty good sense of Maverick as a as a character, right? With his like showboating and the way that he like disobeys orders to help Cougar, who like can't take the pressure. Uh, these are all cool signs, by the way, not their actual actual names. But he's just kind of like a cocky asshole, right? Yeah, and the first time that he's even like mentioned the like people in the the flight cabin area, whatever, with all the radar screens, we're really good at this. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like scoffing at him straight away. They're just like, "Oh, Maverick, bloody Maverick! What a uh, what he's such a um, liability, loose cannon." Yeah, they can't call him Maverick, which no. is something they keep bumping up against in the movie. <laughs> They have to keep coming up with things to call him that aren't Maverick. <laughs> but he's a Maverick, and that's kind of the whole movie. Yeah, this is my main criticism of the film, which we'll get into later, but that is the whole movie. He is a Maverick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he's reprimanded really early on, and, and he has his misdemeanours listed to him by such a classic, grumpy, superior, shouty guy who says who says the first of what I would consider to be an iconic line from Top Gun? Uh, your ego is writing checks, your body can't cash. Yeah, uh, incredible piece of writing. What I mean, that is just poetry. I like to imagine that they were writing and they were going every now and again. They would go, "Is that too much?" And they always said, "No, <laughs> that is yeah, not too much." It was never too <laughs> much. Another one on. <laughs> An absolutely inhuman amount of cocaine was consumed while writing this movie. (laughs) Um, He gets assigned to Top Gun, which, as set up at the beginning of the movie, is like the best of the best. And as he is assigned to Top Gun, what song starts playing again? Is it Danger Zone? It's Danger Zone again. It's the second needle. We're five minutes in. And it's the second needle drop of Danger Zone. And it cuts to Tom Cruise on a fucking motorbike riding into the sunset. It's always sunset in this movie. Yeah. Everywhere is orange all of the time. It looks amazing. And then it it, it has to set up its main sort of like... There are no real like... For an action blockbuster, right? This is actually quite a weird one. There are no villains in this movie, really. Yes. 
and and the the political situation of it. We I mean, we've discussed the, the Cold War more already on this than than they do <laughs> yes. in the film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, you know, it's very much in the background because you're talking about Russian names of planes, but we're never really entirely sure who any of the enemies are. I don't know who any of the enemy nations are that we're meant to be up against in this film, unless I missed that somehow, but I feel like we just don't know. The, the only thing that they are battling against is the danger zone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the constant need to exist in or out of the danger zone. That's the real <laughs> battle. Um, I, and honestly, I've just assumed that, that MiGs are Russian because of my knowledge from a James Bond film. Yeah, that's the thing. I I assumed they were Russian, but I don't think they mention any country. They don't. No, at any they're point. Russian planes, but oh, they are. But they, but they then go and they fight in the Indian Ocean, which I think is international waters. I think that's one of the things that was changed, and I think it was going to be Cuba in the original script, but that doesn't enlighten me in any way as to what the political situation might have been. I mean, the fact yeah. the fact that MIGs are getting close and then they can shoot, they can literally enter what would otherwise be each other's airspace and kill each right. other without igniting World War Three. suggests yeah. that they're, yeah, they're, just in, they're just anonymous enemies in the middle of international waters where there's no repercussion, really. Well, exactly. You never get the idea that the stakes are as serious as, well, until the very end, that the stakes are as serious as we're preventing World War Three. But then I suppose it's all training exercises, isn't it? There's there's one sort of like um how would you call it encounter at the beginning and one at the end and the rest mm-hmm. is all sort of training, um and the real conflict of the movie is like Tom Cruise and his own ego I guess uh, or Maverick and Iceman they kind of face off that they're introduced in in the next scene when they're told that they're like you know they're in the classroom and they're told you're the top one percent you're the best of the best and Tom and Val like lock eyes and Val Kilmer looks absolutely beautiful like <laughs> what incredible looking man and and the the look between them is like so smoldering and introduces the idea that the best of the best of the best of the best has their name engraved on this uh plaque thing you know top of the class or whatever and Tom is just so arrogant and smirking uh and confident and that's carried through into um they go to a bar which which Maverick describes as a target-rich environment, which is one of the grossest things I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) For the benefit of the listeners, I have just been sick into my sick bag that I brought with me for the specific moment when we were going to have to talk about that. Also... That you when I find this scene one of the most troubling scenes in the whole in the whole film. They walk in and it's such a generic bunch of women in that bar. Like these these women could could not be less characterful. They really are um, portrayed. You know that plus the target rich environment. Um, they they really are portrayed as kind of the gazelle. Of the of the David Attenborough documentary, that they're they're not the real characters of this. They're merely background slash meat for later, and it's oh, yeah. it's so unpleasant. It's, <laughs> this film, it's, it's horrible. This film barely has one female character. Yeah, who is treated quite poorly uh, in in the standards of of screenwriting. Yeah, I think. Um, and like obviously Val Kilmer was introduced as Iceman, which is just the best name. Um, 
Everyone keeps talking about their dicks. There's like charged banter between Maverick and Iceman, which I think, like, it really does seem like they're going to kiss. It really does. And I know that lots has been said about the kind of homoeroticism of this film. But I really wanted to see Maverick and Iceman, like, end up together, I think. Is that your fanfic version of this? Yeah, my slash, my Top Gun slash fic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but but instead they double down on being gross and Maverick and Goose, who is his uh, rear pilot, at the risk of having a euphemism as, as what I call it, um, they make a bet about who can have sex with someone that night. And Maverick's go-to is to do karaoke at... Kelly McGillis. With with no backing track as I know, well. Incredible. Acapella karaoke, which... Except for the fact, obviously, that she, she ends up with about 10 guys surrounding her, shouting at her face. Well, Adam, I don't know about like the last time that you went to a bar with, you know, the pandemic and everything, but... but I took nine of my mates. Yeah, so you took nine of your mates. And, and when you <laughs> randomly started singing loudly in a woman's face, all yeah. of us just joined in <laughs> instead of looking at you like what the fuck is adam doing we just we all joined in with the song that we on it do we just knew and that's why you can be my wingman anytime yeah because we hunt in packs yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh my god yeah and it's so frightening the, yeah the, so the thing about this it, that exactly tracks on to me is it is exactly the same as whenever you see those giant proposal videos that men do sometimes and they, they and yes. to me that is just watching abuse yeah someone being <laughs> embarrassed into agreeing to something yeah yeah and also just that, that kind of it just it's like this guy is going to be a problem with coercive control somewhere down the line run just run like it's just a horrific thing to do um that's to make someone do that not because of fellow feeling or finding you interesting or charming or or even nice to look at just being so embarrassed by the moment that they yeah. have to speak to you oh yeah it's 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 quite uncomfortable to watch this this whole section actually it's made worse by the fact that i thought they were going to do something interesting with it because his charm kind of doesn't work and he's giving her what i would consider to be the perception of the full cruise you know the big smile with the central tooth and the kind of maniacal laughing and the suaveness of it all she actually walks off she's like okay i you know i get what this is and i'm, I'm not into it and walks away and goes to the ladies room and he follows her oh. yeah. <laughs> that's fine there is into the ladies room no repercussion to that whatsoever he's rewarded for it yeah. That is like the start of their relationship. He's perseverant, isn't he? <laughs> He's I fucking think that creepy. We're supposed to, yeah, yes, he is. <laughs> I think we're supposed to believe that she is so incredibly turned on by the idea that he has been up against a particular sort of plane, that that is the moment yep. that she's like, well, this is, this is the man for me. And I am not... I'm just not convinced that that is the, quite the pickup line that this film thinks it is. I'm, I'm going to go right on a limb there and say that I'm not sure that that would be in my top million pickup lines. Yeah, I yeah, I like this film seems to in general think it's much cooler than it actually is. <laughs> did this? How did this play in the '80s though? 
like or or you know or even in in the 90s do you, do we think that this played well do you think people watched maverick follow a woman into the ladies bathroom and went that seems normal i bet they did i'm going to say that yeah that is that my memory of this was that i was an odd child for not enjoying his strange amorous uh, overtones oh, overtures dear. towards her like it's it was up there so this this film grease and dirty dancing were kind of uh, a kind of a weird unholy trinity that was much <laughs> beloved by primary school children um, sure. <laughs> slash early early secondary school probably primary school still um and were were all thought of as being these big romance films mm. but i mean I don't think any of them are. I think they're all quite unpleasant in terms of their their learning and what romance was. But I don't think that people were very good about what romance was in the 1980s. I think that's, uh, you know, it was not a very enlightened time. No, that's that's true. Though one thing that he possibly does have in his favour is that it his entire shtick is completely sexless towards her so i don't feel that she is sexually at risk uh, from him at any moment not that that's particularly great but um but he does not seem to be like find her attractive i buy that he fancies the planes i buy even maybe that he fancies i definitely buy that he fancies Val Kilmer, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I and I buy his relationship, his deep and loving relationship with Goose. But yeah. do I buy that there is anything between him and the supposed great love interest of this? No, I do not. No, no, absolutely not. It's the least convincing part of of the film, which is a shame because it seems to be played as though it's such an integral uh, part of the film. Um, I will say that, like. I, I said, you know, all of this charm, this charm offensive that Tom Cruise has uh, in this scene uh, is my, what used to be my perception of, of the full Cruise. Because having seen the movies before this, and Tom, you alluded to a scene in All the Right Moves, that scene is dealt with way more subtlety than than this one. Yeah. Um, and it is dealt with, you, you don't feel positively about Tom Cruise's character as a result of that film. And that film is a sad downtrodden film and Tom Cruise plays it really well and it made me realize having gone through those and watching this for the second time now this is a performance it it, it is it is the full cruise and it is kind of like you said Laura like a mood that it's the cruise mood that he chooses for the next few films and potentially the next decade before he starts then again branching out into playing like um have you seen Magnolia Mm, yeah. So his performance in that is uh, incredible, it's, like it's yeah. bizarre. <laughs> but but yes. the, and then he starts deranged playing like deranged is a word that comes to mind. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but he's absolutely perfect for that like deranged character. Um, and then he starts playing like Nazis, and he starts playing villains in Collateral and stuff. So yeah, al- al- although it's the the mood that he sits in for 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 a decade or so. Um, I became far more aware around this time that it is a performance, and I think a lot of people assume that this version of Cruise is the real life version of Cruise because it's also who he is on chat shows. Mm-hmm. If you watch him on David Letterman, Conan O'Brien, he is this insanely like charming, wide grin, laughing all the time kind of person. 
and it, it, it you know I am I would consider myself a Tom Cruise fan not because I necessarily like him but because I find him very interesting <laughs> I'm just uh, I like studying Tom Cruise as uh, and I'm starting to sound like a serial killer so we're going to move on um, <laughs> I think also that the the big um secret things that he does that are obviously meant to be leaked so the the flying people the cakes the yes. um the like the buying um everybody you know going into a restaurant and paying for everyone's bill the 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 guy that the time that he bought the two curries to see him the um, eating two curries in one sitting yes <laughs> the, the legendary two ticker tom story yeah it's, it's, it, i mean that, <laughs> but all of these things i get the sense are as exactly as you say part of the performance of what it is to be tom cruise and they all fit within this maverick guy yeah. whether you know whether they're slightly you know a silly version of it which is the you know the curry story which is one of which is why it's my favorite ever tom cruise story i think it's brilliant but <laughs> but it still fits within that same kind of wheelhouse of just like you know he's just he's passionate and he's uh he's a little crazy but it's always with this kindness at the heart of it and it's all it's very 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 much maverick is the guy that he decided this is the most sellable version of myself that's such a good take and it comes through in this whole basically there's this whole secondary narrative to any tom cruise film that's come out in the last 15 years which is that he he is doing his own stunts for them so a lot of people will go to see the new mission impossible because they want to see what the next mad thing tom cruise is going to do which plays into this persona that he's this mad person but it comes from a place that he just loves movies right and he loves being in movies and it comes across as very earnest but like you say it's kind of a performance it's you know and and all of the stuff that you know the cake stuff that is secret secret but Mm -hmm. leaked and then all the stuff that comes out that is definitely secret like scientology uh auditioning women to date him and the you know the times that he has potentially kind of abused his power um Mm -hmm. those are very definitely secret very definitely leaked and not at all in keeping with uh the maverick persona that he kind of continues on with complex guy weird guy we're gonna get doxxed by scientology mate like there's (laughs) no two ways about it like we need to put this behind a paywall as quickly as possible (laughs) no one's paying for this adam (laughs) that's true yeah that's true um Anyway, after the uh, deeply upsetting ladies' room scene, the next scene is a big briefing in a big warehouse, and the briefing is led by Charlie, by Kelly McGillis, the the woman that he was chatting up, uh, unsuccessfully chatting up, in in the bar. Um, So obviously he's immediately fired from the programme. No. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of the things that, that, that the Navy made sure was changed in the script. In the original script, she was going to actually be a member of the Navy. And here they take great pains to tell the audience that she is a civilian contractor. And therefore, fraternization between ranks is sort of more of a grey area than it is strictly prohibited. But anyway, she is, in effect, his superior. uh, And she is kind of... It's interesting. It's it's a the tables are turned she is now the person who is in the position of power she is now able to kind of turn the tables onto maverick and instead he mansplains to her with classified information and points out all the things that she's getting wrong and he's rewarded for that because in the world of the movie he's right 
Yeah. <laughs> and she is like maddeningly impressed by him. She loves that he did that. This is this film is a fantasy. Very obviously a fantasy. Yeah. And yeah. very obviously when you watch that a male fantasy. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is no woman's fantasy of how their life goes. Not least because I I was I was looking into this, right? I was like she's such a like it feels like there is a fa- fascinating character there that we don't actually see. And there is because she was based on a real person. She was based on a real person who actually, Christine Fox, who actually then went on to become, I think, the, yeah, the highest ranking female officer in the Defence Department. We must leave that out of this movie, though. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. not interesting in the context of say, this d- movie. She sounds really interesting, <laughs> and they've just stripped out her personality and yeah. gone, yeah, but we've got a name. No, we'll get rid of that as well. So we basically got the fact that there was a woman once in uh, an airport. So she, and she was a mathematician. And so they went, uh, astrophysicist seems seems all right. Like, that's the same as maths, isn't it? They use numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but, so this incredible woman, whose call, whose call sign was Legs, which is a, it's brilliant. Oh, oh yeah, a, that's cool. Right, and apparently she said that people would always know when she was coming because she was the only person whose heels would click when she was coming down the corridors because she was wearing high heels so there is like a there is a i mean she she does there is a little bit of the sexiness going on there obviously she's just she's this quite statuesque woman really tall call signal as legs you know she's she's uh obviously fascinating basically what i came away with thinking was i would really like to see a film about her life (laughs) yeah imagine if she was the main character and this fucking maverick dickhead was like a side trifle to her. Um, the the even uh, the even worse thing for me personally is that all of this stuff that we've gone over so far, and it continues for the rest of the movie, it does not make me dislike the movie. Why? Why do I still like this movie? And this right. Uh, this is. Uh, I'm gonna. Get, I'm gonna. You know, flute a theory. Okay, uh, and you can tell me if it's wildly offensive. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, Love this. The, so people say about Boris Johnson that the okay, faults are baked stop. in. <laughs> right, you've got to know that Adam is a massive Tory. Yeah, he's a Tory donor. So, so this is just so offensive that I'm slagging off Boris Johnson. Um, yeah, yeah, I but, don't know where this is going. At all. That was the way round. I knew that was the way round. But no, but. but Stick with me. It's an analogy rather than a, okay, a, an insult okay. in that way. Um, Boris Johnson, people say the faults are baked in. So, like, you can say as many times as you want that he's a philanderer and that he's, you know, how many children does he have? People already know that stuff, so they just don't care about it. It's just it's baked into your initial proposition of what it is. I think maybe with Top Gun, the things that are bad about it are just baked in. That, that you've kind of already got over those before you've even got through the door of watching this film. I think you're right. I had a much better time with this film the second time round than I did the first because I knew what I was kind of in for. Yeah, that's probably it. Where, um, yeah, where I, there's so much, so much stuff is brushed under the carpet because I just go like, oh, that's Top Gun. You know, it's just, it oh, was the eighties. Yeah. yeah, if you're watching it, it, a, a it, film from 1986 about cocky people in fighter jets, you do kind of go in thinking, "I don't think this is going to be really progressive yeah. towards women." I wonder how sensitively this will be handled. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> what did we get to, Tom? What's going on? Uh, mansplaining. And then, he, oh, and yeah. then he stands up and puts on his sunglasses. Oh, the best bit of the film, isn't it? Yeah. Closely followed by the uh, the next bit where they go out on exercises and someone says, let's turn and burn. That's cool. <laughs> That's definitely something. Uh, I, I, you know, look, th- this happens about five times in the movie. They go out on an exercise where there's lots of flying. Someone wins or loses something and then they go back to the base. We're kind of setting up like this rolling structure uh, of the movie they win and they like they like they buzz the tower i have no idea what any of that means is when they fly really close to the yeah, tower it's as a celebration fl- right? it's when you fly so close to the tower that the windows rattle essentially right okay and why do you do that is it like celebrating a goal yeah right okay i imagine he's pe- such a maverick i imagine people he don't really not do to, this specifically yeah no i no. i think that is a real thing i think well, that yeah, is a real yeah thing. but i mean i mean i i don't think it's something that like if you did a really good training exercise, someone's going to be like, "Can can I do a flyby of the tower, please? Can I buzz the tower?" Like, like, no, you fucking five year old. Why are we letting you in a fighter jet worth thirty two million? <laughs> he wins the exercise by pulling off this insanely dangerous manoeuvre, right? Which is basically a setup so that he can use it again and be successful. But there's a big Iceman confrontation with insane energy, and again, they might kiss. But Iceman is like, "I find you dangerous," and he's saying he's a loose cannon and again not calling him a maverick because it's written on his helmet um and he's reprimanded for the flyby and he tries to justify why he bent the rules of the engagement there's doubts about his suitability uh as a pilot and it's kind of the same thing that happened 20 minutes ago where he kind of disobeyed rules and then there were doubts about his suitability uh but but Goose starts uh, expressing doubts and asking Maverick to kind of just chill out. And um, there's this scene where they're talking about, like, uh, Maverick's, like, he does this because there's expectations from him because he has a famous father who may or may not have done something bad or heroic in the past, and we're not sure because it's classified. And... We've seen Tom Cruise so far, uh, Tom, do a lot of scenes like this, like heart-to-heart kind of emotional scenes. But we've seen him do them much more effectively. He's playing very broad uh, in this movie. There's almost no subtlety to his his performance at all. It's more just he literally delivers the lines in the sense that, like, he delivers exposition. He explains... And it's exposition we don't even need. Because I'm going to be honest, the, all the father stuff is basically just to like excuse the fact that he's a dickhead. But then it's not even like fleshed out or informing what really happens because they give other reasons for why he like loses his mojo and all that. It's, it's just kind of just Tom Cruise just literally describes some lines and then we'll allude to this a couple of times and there'll be no resolution and... Yeah, it's not even clear enough. Like you said, we don't know if he did something good, something bad, or I got the impression he just disappeared, like in a really fantastical yeah, I mean, way. He kind he of just, did, right? Yeah, he just didn't come into land one day and just kept flying. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that, wow, that'd be weird. But he's doing—he's making all these acting choices. Like, like the famous one is like that he doesn't blink, 
until he needs to like take a huge moment then he closes his eyes and like turns his head and it's just this it's like he's on stage rather than he's in front of a camera it's this really big big performance and it makes me not believe the scene that he's in and i think like you said laura it is a fantasy there's so many like fantastical elements to this film that it actually has more in common with legend than i remember this kind of very large heightened reality uh kind of thing um there's there's back and forth with kelly mcgillis he says something like when i see something i go right after it so now he has serial killer energy as well <laughs> uh and she knocks him back but but then also gives him a note to meet for dinner so obviously she is interested which is so frustrating <laughs> it's just i just want to scream um and then there's the the scene the, the scene. scene of the movie that it's the it's the it's the scene can is there anything that anybody can add to the numerous discussions about the volleyball scene in top gun <laughs> no uh, no no i don't know that we've got <laughs> anything wildly new to add to that but it i mean just though to take a moment for just how incredibly strange it is let us all take a beat just for how yeah unbelievably odd it is very strange it has no purpose no narratively no welcome to most scenes in this film yeah <laughs> it's not necessarily um a tonal uh, section of the film it doesn't really add anything to the tone of the movie it's quite gay i mean that would be what i think it adds to the tone of the movie is it entirely dispels uh any doubt that you previously had in your mind as to whether this was a homoerotic film yeah it, go- yeah. it goes full on in for you know absolutely oiled up yes that's exactly what we were aiming for you're correct this is very homoerotic. Enjoy it. That's that's basically what it's saying. Is it? Is it definitely intentional? I mean, I don't know. Because like, there's so many lines that are just overtly homoerotic between like Maverick and Goose or Maverick and Iceman. That if you read, it's, it's not like you have to really read into it. You don't have to dig. If you had that in isolation, <laughs> if you watched that clip in isolation, you'd go, "Oh right, okay, this is this is a, a, a this is homoerotic. This this is a queer film, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly yeah. as there are no women, there yeah. are no women on screen. Yes, it's not yeah. like there are even like women watching to be like is... that. You know, this is for to tell to give you some sort of a this is for the female gaze. Oh, this is just for the boys, Laura. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean the, the the song that is playing is Kenny Loggins playing for the boys. That's the name of the song. So <laughs> it's like having Maverick on your helmet, right? Yeah, it's, it's exactly. Like, this is what we're doing. It's very on the nose. Can, can I point out that some of the some of the guys playing volleyball uh, are like wearing shorts and stuff, you know? Yeah. Tom Cruise is wearing jeans. Oh, he's, oh, yes, blue he's wearing jeans. full jeans with no shirt. Yeah, yeah. Because that wouldn't be horrific good. in wherever they are. 
Well, I think it is. Is it not to sort of give the impression that it was not planned and a, vo- a volleyball match just sort of broke out? What between, out of nowhere? between people who don't like each other? Yeah, nobody was expecting it, but suddenly they found themselves playing volleyball. <laughs> I mean, hell, it makes as much sense as anything else going on here. Why not? Right, exactly. <laughs> There's so much focus on like the bodies and the close contact and the hugging. It's a mesmerizing scene. Um, oh, and men with with th- abnormally thick mustaches. For oh, their yes. age, like sort of scowling at a slightly mm. side angle, like they're about to throw a ball. It's, yeah, uh, it's, it's pure cinema. Yeah. So mm. the only scenes that I can think of in modern cinema that re- that remind me of this are the likes of uh, Brad Pitt playing. Was an Achilles that he played? It's like the, it's yes. those it's those uh, swords and sandals type epics. Of the that's the only other time and actually when I was watching it, I was rewatching it for this, I thought more and more about those because it is that homoeroticism plus militarism plus a kind of uh real worship of the, the male physical form in a very greased up way. And yeah. for, the, for the first time that connection just clicked in my head and I was like, Oh my goodness, this is basically just a Greek epic. But to the soundtrack of Kenny Loggins. (laughs) Yeah, it kind of is. It's like a Greek tragedy, but that that takes place in the danger zone. Yeah, that's that's an incredible line to draw. Uh, Yeah, just one in the long pantheon of greasy men movies, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very important genre. Um, It's not even as if anybody fucking wins the volleyball match because they leave it at a draw because he's got to go and visit Charlie. Uh, and we're 40 minutes in, and this is the first time that the Berlin song, Take My Breath Away, plays. It's written especially for the movie. It's a great song, I think. Uh, it was written by Giorgio Moroder, which is slightly interesting. Um, they have dinner. Tom is reminiscing about uh, Otis Redding and his mother, and it's so broad. It's like a GCSE. Uh, performance uh, of you know someone you know like trying to adapt Tennessee Williams into you know so that 15 year olds can perform it um off off the back of legend as well which is another kind of quite broad uh performance uh we learn that his father's potential mistake is classified he rides off on his motorcycle into the sunset while take my breath away plays and it's and it's moments like that that just kind of it makes me forget anything else about the movie. There's these really pure moments that is Take My Breath Away is playing. Tom Cruise has aviators and a leather jacket on. He's riding a motorcycle into the sunset. And you're just like, yeah, actually, <laughs> this is one of the best movies of all time. <laughs> you're just like, yeah, okay, fair enough. Because it just like looks, I don't know. I don't know how to sum that up. Do you guys get, do you, do you get what I'm getting at a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it is absolutely one of the the most glossy looking films that you can imagine. I mean, obviously, the, you know, not the first person to draw the connection between it and advertising, given what Scott came to, uh, right? You know, from it, it's, it's part of that British invasion of all of the um, the directors who'd come from advertising, and it looks like an ad, and it brings the very best of what those huge budgets in advertising could do in the, at that time to make things look absolutely as glossy, as perfect, as covetable 
as they possibly can be. 100%. You can see the influence of this on people like Michael Bay in, in like the early 90s. There's there's like a direct line that you can you can draw Precisely. between those two things. Yeah. And another person that started, obviously, with like, didn't Michael Bay direct the Got Milk advert? It's like one of his most famous things, right? Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just like, and, and the thing is, if I describe it to people and I say, it's Tom Cruise on a motorcycle with aviators and leather jacket. And he's riding off into the sunset while Take My Breath Away plays. That is objectively shite. <laughs> that is objectively one of the lamest vibes anyone has ever talked about. But in the movie, again, you're just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really getting me. It's really getting me. Um, he leaves her place and he, he says, mm. when he turns up, he goes, I want to have a shower. And she's like, no, I'm hungry. So like, yeah, fair yeah. enough. And then he leaves, says, I'm going to go have a shower. Mm-hmm. And then the next shot is him in the base with a towel around his shoulders, entering an elevator with Charlotte. And she's all like, looks like you need another shower. And I was like, I don't know if he's, j- he's gone back. And this is, this is five minutes later. And they've both might just not turned- have had a shower. Yeah. Yeah. And like, has, he, yeah, has he turned up? Has he gone back, had a shower, and is now in an elevator with Charlotte? who's <laughs> in the evening or is it just such a weird transition that the next shot has to be Tom Cruise having had a workout now needing a shower looking like he's just had a shower the next day okay it wasn't just me that got confused with like time and place in yeah. this movie I would not be able to tell you if this movie takes place over a year or a week like who story instance. who storyboarded this I don't well interestingly no that one? that <laughs> 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 that that elevator scene was a late addition. It was it was part of some reshoots, which you can tell because um she has to have her hair up in a hat because she was filming something else at the time and had brown hair. Right. So she, they had to like hide that for the movie. I don't know why they added that scene because they talk about like professional boundaries and like we can't do this and the rest of the film is them fucking doing it anyway. I don't know what it adds. It doesn't add anything other than the fact that they're obsessed with the need to shower. Also, what a weird thing to do to turn up to someone's house who you've never met and go, I need a shower. Yeah, that's the bit that I can't get over. You you don't know this person. You're what was he going to have a shower in her house? Yeah. Did he think she would come in with him? Does was it is it I mean Oh no. Everything about it. That's the other thing. When he's at her house at the end of the dinner and then goes, I'm gonna go have a shower. It's it's delivered. It's I so wasn't much like, expecting him to leave. Yeah, yeah. the next shot yeah. is him on a motorbike <laughs> driving away. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa! I think she expects so to go in the shower with you. Like this, that's how this conversation's going. Maverick cannot read the room. That's what it is. He's got absolutely no idea what's going on at the time. Yeah, I'm gonna go have a shower. I'll meet you. In a- Where's he gone? <laughs> but but that makes you think. The first time with the shower thing. Was he saying he was literally going to arrive after rushing out to get to her after leaving, uh, you know, Anthony Edwards, our favourite character, at yeah. the, at the, having not played the rest of the volleyball with him, to show up at her house? And then was he just going to straight away leave and go for a shower? If he then thinks he's going to go for a shower and he then leaves? Oh, it's all the shower, <laughs> the battle. I think he turned up half an hour yeah. late to a dinner that she'd prepared and then went, <laughs> I want to have a shower in your house, please. <laughs> because I'm smelly, because I'm late, because I had a volleyball game with the guys. Where well, he wasn't expecting the volleyball. But he wasn't how long expecting was he to play volleyball, volleyball, Adam. 
Like he well, was very hot. Was he was wearing jeans, Tom. Of course he was sweaty. He's got to put the jeans back on. He's better off just leaving them on now than getting the sweaty jeans off, having a shower, and then putting them back on. That's a good point. Did he bring a change of clothes? Would he have had to have gone home to bring the change? We don't no, know. No. There's so many sharpest questions. <laughs> he just turns up with his leather jacket and his denim jeans, dripping with sweat, half an hour I mean, late. Yeah, I mean, that's a vibe as well. Isn't and then it? talks about his dead mum. Yeah, yeah, he cannot read the room. He has no, no idea at any point what anybody wants from him or he needs to deliver. Um, Goose's family come to visit, though, and I was like, holy shit, it's Meg Ryan. So, yeah. like, w- w- when is when Harry met Sally that she's in such, like, a small uh, role this, in this movie? I believe this is her first big, f- this is her first film role. Because it was no telly way. before that, wasn't it? What was she in on, on, on TV? I know oh, now you're asking. This is a bad quiz. This is where I have gone in with <laughs> overarching confidence and, and then have been like, I don't have the goods. When Harry Met Sally was not until 1989. Yeah, so this is really early, huh. Meg Ryan. Also, I think, I think she really steals the show. I she's think incredible. she comes she, yeah. in and she's got amazing energy. She delivers the best line in the film which is take me to bed or lose me forever. Brilliant. Yeah, yep. incredible. And, and, and also she comes on with, like, by the standards of the film, an extremely liberated, powerful woman who comes on and is like, I want to have sex with you now, my lovely husband, who seems to have her own ideas about what goes on in the world and doesn't seem to be beholding to, to the men in any way. She just seems to be doing her own thing. And that's really quite nice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm like, oh my god, the the first human. <laughs> it's also why I like Anthony Edwards' character so much, and you know, this it very much reflects well on Goose that he has such a nice wife. It definitely does. Yeah, the the range in her performance for such a a small amount of screen time, where she has to go from this like effervescent sort of character um, to kind of like like you say, like one of the only human characters in the movie and then has to play off the back of Goose's death and there's sort of like, you know, very sort of dramatic uh, scenes where she's crying. She leaves a huge impression on the movie for someone who I think is in it for less than five minutes. Yep, yeah. absolutely. And I mean, obviously people were watching that and went... Holy hell, at least yeah, some people went, this. Jesus, get this woman in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then, like, th- there's all these little side bits. So, obviously, Goose's family and, and, and the dinner that they have. But then we're back into this familiar, like, they're back in a classroom. Maverick makes a, a somewhat maverick decision, but earns some respect for it. Um, he says that line, like, if you think, you're dead, which is... <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> it makes again, no fucking as sense. As I'm describing it, not very cool. No. But in the movie, I was like, this is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> if you think you're dead. What, so, what, you were? What? If I think I'm dead, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> what? Okay. Um, and then we get, and I counted these, the sixth needle drop of the Berlin song in 10 minutes. Jesus. It starts for the sixth time in ten minutes, and then there's like a weird car chase yeah. between Charlie and Maverick, and he's like, they have this discussion where they talk about how reckless he is, so uh, they make out, and it, and it's sunset again. This could well be the same evening that they had dinner. I've got absolutely no concept of time because it's always eight p.m. Right? 
Yeah. That seems to be a, when this is set. When When's Top Gun set? 8 p.m. <laughs> in the 80s. 8 p.m. Yeah. in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then such a good sex scene. No. No, it's not, Adam. It's fucking oh, it's horrendous. It's so good. No, it's so good. It's, it's so 80s. It's entirely light blue and silhouetted. But they don't actually kiss once. They just rub their open mouths together. Yeah, they lick each other. Yeah. <laughs> Neither of those people know how to kiss. No. Yeah, no, Maverick's got no idea what he's doing. He cannot, he's, he's like, what is this? What, what is yeah, this? does he even know he's trying to kiss? Or is yeah, this just something I've, I've never done this with a woman before. <laughs> see, see, that's the other thing. That's the other reason why I think it, they overtly knew how like homoerotic this film was. Because it, I don't think it's possible to unintentionally make a sex scene this unromantic and unsexy. Guys, I like the sex scene, I'm not going to lie. And again, a late edition. This was also a late edition, because this was, was after this is after test screenings when people found, whenever everyone was disappointed that they did not in fact get it on, which is why it is pale blue, because they were trying to dis- disguise them looking so different. Yes, ah. of course. Okay. I mean, so, it's... So yeah, they really were, I mean, you as you say, with the, the deliberate homoeroticism, they had left out the sex scene between the, 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 the kind of romantic interests originally. So yeah. So all the test audiences were they like, I think this guy is into men. Can we just kind of put it's the eighties, guys. We're not quite there yet. Can we put a straight sex scene in somewhere? Uh yeah, may may maybe. Uh I mean, I liked it, but then I, I, I really liked uh, the sex scene in uh, in Risky Business on the train with uh, Phil Collins playing right, over that, the. But the that thing. was very different. Like Laura, uh, I don't know. Have you seen very Ris- hyper stylized, right? Have, Laura, have you seen Risky Business? Not for a great deal of years. Okay. So I, I'm not sure that I have a, a good reckoning on the sex. But scene. like, but there's like a build up on the train scene because like the the two like leads are on the train waiting to have sex on the train and the train is full of people and like the scene's kind of funny because they're waiting for it to clear out then they have to physically carry a a drunk out and so they can get back on the train and you know have sex and yeah it's like it's cheesy and it's over stylized but like at least you feel like the characters actually want to have sex with each other (laughs) like this one just felt like people who were literally told for money can you waggle your tongues at each other? And hopefully they touch, but we'll just use the first take. Don't worry about it. If you sort of just aim at each other, that's fine. Did it make you dislike the movie though, Tom? Well, no. Right, exactly. Like, what is happening in this movie that all of these weird things are coalescing? Where if you if you take it in isolation, you're like, this doesn't make any sense. This sounds like a bad movie. But it comes together to just be kind of like this weird... Uh, amalgamation that that results in what is quite a cohesive piece of absolute nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> Cohesively nonsense is a yeah. very, very good description of this film. <laughs> um, and then, again, straight into another exercise where, of course, I feel the need, the need for speed. Uh I'd heard that line a hundred times before I'd ever seen the movie. So it's another one of those that's sort of like filtered into... In fact, I thought... I assumed it must have been from Days of Thunder because that's the movie where he's driving cars really fast. He felt the need for even more speed than that. Planes go faster. Uh, Needier for speedier. 
planes. That, that, that was the height of my knowledge about both planes and cars. <laughs> he, planes go faster. Has he ever gone faster in a film? When he's running. He can run faster than an right, F-14. Right. Yes. In Mission Impossible 4. Yeah. Five, six, it, three, yeah. two, and one. Right. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I'm yeah, thinking yeah. when he runs away from the sandstorm. Uh, is that in Mission Impossible 4? Uh, that's Ghost Prot. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think that's the point when he breaks the sand barrier. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. He does. Yeah. He does run away from a sandstorm. Doesn't yeah. He? What does he run away from in the in the fifth one? I can't even remember the fifth one. Name a stunt. Uh, the fifth one is where he holds his breath for six minutes. What a mad uh. person. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's another. Yeah. There's another exercise, Maverick. That it's really interesting this one actually because in this one he disobeys orders but it plays off which is interesting isn't it? Um, it's a real change of pace for the movie. Never saw it coming. <laughs> um, and you know, in the shower, he's told it's the best flying uh, that that people have ever seen, but he shouldn't have left his wingman like that. Iceman again says he's like foolish and reckless, and it's just kind of the same conflict carried through the whole first hour of the movie, just with lots of different examples of ways that Maverick is a maverick. Um, and then then we get a side scene that isn't another exercise. It's them playing Great Balls of Fire on the piano, and Meg Ryan is being very human. Uh, and um, I, that's quite like a nice sort of hangout scene. You definitely get a good uh, impression of what Goose's family life is like, which is obviously important for what is kind of about to happen uh in the movie um it's 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 basically revealed that uh meg ryan's character whose name i cannot remember meg ryan. um yeah meg ryan thinks the world of, of of maverick and encourages uh charlie charlotte to um lock him down basically um and you know commit to a full relationship but like this romance subplot just kind of doesn't just feels disconnected from the rest of the of, of, of the film for me. And it feels like the film doesn't care about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It, it's doing like the most serviceable points of a narrative to just kind of get it done. Probably because it was trying to be like a four-quadrant movie and they had the planes and they had Tom Cruise and they had the motorcycles and the leather jackets and now we need a romance plot. Yeah, this is what the women want. Better, yes. get, get, better get the... The sexy woman bit in for you, but no, it does not work at all. No, even, no. not even faintly. The, uh, the 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 next bit kind of does work for me. I think it's probably one of. Uh, do you know what I was going to say? It's one of the strongest bits of the movie, but I think I'm actually lying. Um, but it's, it's quite a sad. <laughs> it's quite a sad bit of the movie because they're out on exercise. They get caught in a jet wash, and Maverick loses control of the plane. He's pinned forward, and he he go, goes into a, a flat spin. Um, and he's pinned forward and he can't reach the ejection handle. Goose does it, he ejects, but he hits the canopy on the way out. They land in the water, and Goose uh, is dead. Um, it's it's kind of undercut by being played more like melodramatically than, than genuinely sad. You kind of instantly get what I felt was very overbearing score of like slow acoustic guitar, and like a very manipulatively emotional uh, moment. It is kind of made genuinely sad 
by the outside context of the film, which is that the stuntman who performed that aerial stunt of the plane spinning did lose control of the plane and died. Um, the film is dedicated to his memory. I don't believe that, he, that the plane or his body were ever recovered. So it was kind of just put down uh, as an accident in a weird mirror of like uh, life kind of imitating art there. Well, so um, are you saying that he died during the production of the, the film? Yeah, he, he died no. performing some of the footage that we see in the movie. Yeah. His name's Art Skull. And like I said, at, at the end of the credits, the movie is kind of uh, uh, dedicated uh, to him. Um, and obviously this is the, uh, the impetus for the classic Tom Cruise narrative of now he's not going to be very good at the thing that he was good at because this terribly sad and disrupting thing has, has happened to him and it is dealt with with absolutely no respect or decency at all uh his superior obviously maverick's blaming himself and his superior is like you've got to let him go uh it's been like five minutes i think yeah. I, it, it, it could be the next day that he's talking to him so i think Watching that scene, certainly how I read it was he was literally just out of the shower, as we know he loves to shower. Um, and he, to me, it played as though that was him finding out for certain that he was dead in that moment. And then within two beats, the guy's like, got to get over it. Because he comes yeah. in and he says, Goose is dead. Yeah. And it's like, it and honestly says, to me I looked know. like a... Yeah, right. but that's yeah. like, to me, I read that as I know because I held him in my arms and I could feel him slipping away and, you know, like, so to be like, your best friend's dead, you better get over it. You've got to get over this, please. It wow. happened. It happened more than an hour ago. <laughs> please get over this. You're going to ruin your life. I can't imagine even the actual military being that insensitive and not even necessarily because they're like you know some sort of sensitive like oh we've got to care about somebody's mental health and them getting over it is it more just like this person isn't going to be performing at their best yeah right like give, give them give them a week give them a week off that's that's the thing though is that like it could have been a week it could have been a month uh I have no idea. The film does not tell me. It does not give me a clear idea of how much time has passed in between those two events at all. But, but I assumed that like Minutes. Goose was dead instantly. Like the, yeah, the, it's not clear. the act of ejecting killed him straight away. He was dead before he hit the water. Mm. Yeah, so, otherwise so, you wouldn't include the shot of him kind of hitting yeah. the canopy, mm. right? For a PG, it's quite a it's quite an alarming scene actually. I was I was it took me by surprise slightly because there's no real violence in this film. No, it's a weirdly mm. bloodless film for a film that later on does blow people up. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not that they are in any way humans. That I think we're just they're blowing up the planes. Like they're, that's yes. what we're led to to believe. Like even you know, even the enemy fighters, like their helmets are like completely black tinted. They look yes. like stormtrooper helmets, sort mm -hmm. of. You know, yeah, like exactly. Faceless. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You could just about see like eye the glint of eyes behind it, and that's that's it. That is kind of typical of Tom Cruise, though. Like. This is an action film. Um, Legend has a bit of action in it. So far, though, we haven't really seen Tom Cruise, you know, who is 
perhaps most widely known, especially these days, as an action star, he's not even really thrown a punch in his, his career so far. No, I think he throws a punch in uh, in all the right moves, and it doesn't go well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but he's not like a an action star who's who's like getting into a lot of action scenes or anything, is he? You know, he's no. he's he, he seems at this point in his career to be very careful to not become typecast as an action uh, an, an action actor in the same way that I suppose you you'd think that like maybe. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a bad comparison because they're two <laughs> very different personalities. But um, <laughs> you know, it's something like Mel Gibson who got pigeonholed in, in, into the uh, the lethal weapon of it all. You know, mm-hmm. he, he seemed to be consciously taking a very different route to that. It's going to seem like I'm going through this stuff really quickly. Maverick clears out Goose's room and takes stuff to his wife, played by Meg Ryan. The incident is declared an accident. Maverick is cleared of any wrongdoing. He's immediately back to flying, but he's lost his confidence and he chokes. Um, Maverick quits. Charlotte goes to talk to him in a bar to try and like talk him down. Her tactic is to belittle him into it, which to be fair is about as aggressive as he is. Um, He goes to see his superior at their home, who reveals that he personally flew with Maverick's father and reveals the classified sort of heroic move that he pulled. And Maverick is given the choice to quit or graduate. Charlie has left town for a new job. It's still sunset. He shows up very late to graduation and congratulates Iceman on his name being engraved. So that means he's top of the class. Some of them are then given a mission on a crisis situation, including Iceman and Maverick. And if I have gone through that quickly, it's because all of that happens in the space of 18 minutes. Yeah. It starts at one hour and five minutes and ends 18 minutes later, which to me feels like it should have been the core of the movie, not like quite a late beginning of the third act kind of thing. Yeah, and there's a really weird like order as well, because we were just talking about the fact that Viper which is the big big boss pilot, best boss pilot. Best, uh, right, big best boss yeah. pilot. Um, comes in and says, you've got to let him go to Maverick. And God then you got to let him go. Wait, is that Viper? That's Viper. Yeah, right. that's Viper. Yeah. Okay, but, right. But then we find out that Everyone's then... got two names in this movie. <laughs> but then we see we see Maverick being cleared of, of, of fault by like a, a mini tribunal. Yeah, but that would have involved an investigation. So now I'm presuming that minutes after Goose is dead and Maverick has a shower, Viper comes in and goes, "You gotta let him go, mate." But also, you are off duty for the next month while there is an independent <laughs> investigation into whose fault it was yeah, that yeah. your co-pilot's dead. So let him go, but also you got a month off. Yeah. Yeah, it really churns through the gears yeah. at this point. Like, that, I, like that I, could be the other way round. Like, imagine if they'd like. Yeah, that that scene with you've got to let him go could have been placed like five minutes after the tribunal scene. It's just kind of lazy writing, uh, to be honest. Like, and I I can't help but think if they hadn't dicked around with having quite so many like so many examples of him being a loose cannon and setting up a conflict with Iceman that they could have had all of this much earlier in the film and shown an actual progression in the character. As it is, Maverick is only not Maverick for 20 minutes of the whole movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which in an hour and 45 minute movie 
it probably kind of isn't enough for you to feel like there's any real stakes. By the time you get the impression that Maverick has to step up and prove himself, uh, we're already at the end of the movie. Yeah, and it could have been quite good if we'd spent the entire film genuinely, like, either genuinely thinking Maverick's 100% going to be top of the board, and then halfway through the film, Goose dies, and he yeah. isn't at the top of the board. Kind of like in an all-the-right-moves style way, where he then has to spend the the next half of the film getting back to where he was with actual character development, coming to terms with, like, trauma of his, you know, losing his father and all that sort of thing, and the expectation. And then for him to like have that final scene, having conclusively not been on the top of the leaderboard. But when that happens in this film, it just feels like, well, of course he didn't, because he didn't. He barely turned up to graduation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's and, not and really he, any dr- dramatic like. It doesn't spin a twist on his character and give any growth. It's just like, okay, that happened. There is kind of a twist on his character in that he suddenly becomes quite spiritual. Right. Like. He's 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 sent on this perilous rescue mission. Iceman in uh, Ice Iceman. Gary Iceman. <laughs> Iceman. <laughs> um, Finish that Ice- filing, Iceman. <laughs> <laughs> Iceman questions Maverick's involvement, so we're setting up that he's got to step up and you know, prove himself. Uh which is an insane amount of trust to put in Maverick that he's yeah. got to deliver. Like this is his first flight back. But anyway, uh they are outnumbered. They misread the number of enemies that there are. Hollywood goes down. Maverick needs to replace him as wingman. The stakes have never been higher. He gets up there and he overcomes his great fear. He gets involved in another jet wash, which was the thing that caused his, his plane to go down uh, earlier in, well, 20 minutes earlier in the movie. Um, but he controls it. Um, and then he tries to disengage and is holding Goose's dog tags and is saying things like, talk to me, Goose. Talk to me. And then he's back in the game. Uh, well, Star, Star Wars came out like seven years earlier with, you know... That's true. That is use the Force, Wars, isn't the it? He's using away. the Force. Yeah, of course. Um, he, it, it's quite a good action sequence, actually. It, it, like, I felt very stressed watching it. <laughs> uh, and he saves the day by using the move that got him reprimanded at the beginning of the movie, and it's great. What a, what a great hero's journey. Um, but... It really comes out of nowhere. This idea that he would be kind of like that very sentimental thing. It just this the whole third act of this movie feels very rushed. I think. Yeah. It also feels really tacked on. I had forgotten entirely that 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 last act happened at all. I I had absolutely forgotten it. To me, the movie ended with him congratulating Val Kilmer. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's like, where it feels like it ends. You're like, oh, okay, well, he did turn up to graduation and he lost, but he learned some important lessons yeah. along the way. Yeah, you know, and at that point, I'm also, as we know, you know, great lover of Goose. I'm also still crying the first time I yeah. see this. From You've Goose checked out dead, as well. You're I'm like, like what? Because <laughs> this is the second most upsetting time that Anthony Edwards has died on screen. So What's it's the first. I, I can't actually speak about it without tearing up. It's genuinely that bad. It is when Dr. Green dies in ER. <laughs> oh, I, 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 that's absolutely uh, gibberish to me. 
Yeah, yeah if it's, well, that's a TV show. It sounds like a TV show, and I don't think we include that on, on no, this podcast. We do so, not talk about television. We do not like tel- television. Doesn't exist on this. Yes, exactly. Okay. I get where you're at. Strictly films. So you know. Well, then it is the. In that case, this is the most upset. Yes, okay. that he has ever died on film. <laughs> Um, and and then it goes from like this very spiritual thing to incredibly heroic. They request a flyby; it's denied, but they do it anyway. But it's good now, it's and good everyone now. loves it this time. Um, he spills less coffee on himself. The guy, the guy in the tower, true. so yeah. he doesn't have a ruined shirt this time. And everyone's clapping and cheering as they step down from the plane. And then Valkyrie goes, "You, you are <laughs> still dangerous." And you can be my wingman anytime. And they hug, and it's the best moment in any film. Yeah. Right? We're all, we're all agreed that it's <laughs> cinema number one spot. Yeah. Peak. It's the peak of cinema. Yeah. It's, it's quite a strange moment. I mean, I think if you. I am not as caught up in uh, the, 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 the top gear, uh, the top gear, the top gunniness, mm. or the top geariness of this, <laughs> uh, this film as you are. And so by that point, I'm just a bit like, hang on, so is Goose still dead? Yeah, <laughs> and like, yeah the Goose comes around the corner, he's all like, guys, I was fine. <laughs> and everyone hugs and they kiss. It's, you know, it's just, it just, it's quite a strange, upbeat like uncomplicatedly upbeat moments. Yeah, to go Every, for. everything in the third act comes out of nowhere. Yeah, like it's it's almost like there's five twist endings. He <laughs> <laughs> was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> the other thing that doesn't help is is that I think Val Kilmer in this movie is a bit of a non-entity. Like he looks incredible, mm. but he's not given very much to do. Um, and so I think that that turn at the end, just, yeah, it's just another one of those things that just comes out of nowhere. Um, and then, of course, Maverick throws the dog tags uh, in the sea. They are one-use dog tags. Yeah. <laughs> he used them <laughs> once for Goose to talk to him, and he's like, right, I don't need that anymore. But also, uh, <laughs> my first thought when I saw that scene, right, was just how... Obviously, Maverick has not learned fucking anything in this film. Because obviously we're yeah. meant to think, oh, well, he's a bit, you know, like he's got spiritual now. He's got a bit more humble. He learns like, to work as a team. Doesn't think of his dead best mate's wife when he throws the dog tags into an ocean. <laughs> just, a, a just immediately goes, well, I don't need this shit anymore. Goodbye, guys. So no one does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thought the wife will be mourning her husband for the next 50 years of her life. What an insane character. Not, not the just, son yeah. he was singing along with in the piano when he... Hours earlier at eight PM. Like, just <laughs> is there any character growth at all? He goes from point A to point A, yeah. uh, a- admittedly going through point B, but then kind of doing a U turn, just going back to who he was at the beginning of the movie. Uh, there's two characters that have character development. There's Iceman, who goes from being uh, really aggressively hateful towards Maverick to being aggressively friendly towards Maverick. Sure. And Aggressively friendly is a yeah. good way of putting it. Yeah. And, there's, and there's Goose who goes from alive to dead. Yeah, I'm not sure that counts as a character development, but it's definitely one of the only two changes in the film. In this That's film, I think it does. a great character development. Alive to dead. <laughs> That's great. Um, anyway... He's given the pick of assignments and he wants to be a Top Gun instructor, which I imagine is where we pick up when the sequel comes out this year. Yeah. Um, did, did 
anyone else think that that seemed like quite an out of character, borderline cowardly decision? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, that yeah. he does not want to be in active combat. He doesn't go, I want to go and duke it out with the Ruskies or whoever we are fighting because we're never quite clear on that point. He goes. Good use of Ruskies as well. That's, <laughs> that's I would like to go home. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I want yeah, to go. I want to go back bizarre. and play some more of that jeans wearing homoerotic <laughs> ball games, please. Maybe that's what it is. Like, how do I stay here and continue to hang out with a group of young? men maybe that's what it is as i grew older and older it's, yeah exactly. I'm, yeah i'm really worried they about stay the same now. age yeah he's gonna be like 59 and they're all gonna yep. be 18 yeah yeah exactly he's gonna be following them into bathrooms uh anyway uh, he's reunited with charlie because she plays the thing in the jukebox in the bar and it's the song that he shouted at her from earlier in the movie um, and that is the last scene of the movie. You know, Maverick has everything that he wants uh, and has learned nothing, really. Um, you know, even maybe in the last uh, in the last action scene, you know, maybe the lesson should have been that, you know, doing something risky got his friend killed. So he maybe he wins by following the rules because that's what you're supposed to do as, as a good uh, naval aviator. But he doesn't. He still breaks the rules and then wins anyway. He just sort of doesn't learn his lesson. But it didn't make me hate the film at all. Like, it just sort of works. <laughs> Charlotte comes back and yeah. gives up her much sought after, apparently, though I, I don't remember it really being mentioned at any point, but much sought after Washington job. So presumably Washington, D.C. So we're looking at, you know, Pentagon or something. Sure. Yeah, that's right? probably true. Uh, she gives up that job so she can come back and be a civilian consultant at Top Gun. She might Maverick. just be visiting for the weekend, right? I think they pointed out that she was like... Oh, really? She's she, returned. She returned. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that seems like a downgrade, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what is handy. The credits are done over pictures of the actors. Yes. And that really helps me out. Uh, and it reminded me that Tim Robbins was in the movie. And I think the credits is the first time we see his face. <laughs> like, because he's wearing a helmet the rest of the movie, isn't he? He does. In the, the previously stated strange applause scene, he stands very awkwardly in the background of that. Very, very awkwardly. He does not look happy or like he knows he's in the scene. Okay, great. It's that kind of performance that would get you second billing on the year's highest grossing movie. Um, <laughs> Tom Cruise goes last in the credits, which I thought was interesting, like a weird little uh, uh, curtain call. And then the planes take us out in a sunset. Um, and they credit the real pilots, but their call signs are included. Yes. And good Lord, some of them are not as cool as like Maverick or Iceman. Did you catch any of them? One of them's horse. There's <laughs> <laughs> also Bozo. Uh, Rabbi is quite an interesting one. Loner and Rat. Wow. And Tom, I think that's the one that suits you. 
You, I think you I can imagine I'm you rat. flying around. Yeah, I think I can imagine you flying around in a plane with the with the call sign Rat. I don't know why. Cheers, mate. Sort of, Cheers. It's got your vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. great. Uh, I'm loner. I think that's the one that I picked out of the uh, <laughs> out of the credits. Yeah, loner or squire. Um, first time I saw this movie was like a couple of years ago. I found it very, very jarring. Uh, and but with some familiar to, familiarity now, it definitely has weaknesses. Like I said earlier, it just kind of coalesces into this weird, like it's it's almost like, um, it's like begging you to follow it. It's like a weird trip where like the the incremental nature of all the nonsense means that put in sequential order, they all kind of make sense. Taken out of context, you're like, well, that's ridiculous, that's ridiculous, and that's ridiculous. But they put it in an order where it goes from least to most ridiculous, and you just kind of follow it, I felt. I just felt like, yeah, this all makes sense. Uh, Even if in places it felt like a parody of an 80s movie. But that's probably because... It has been parodied and ripped off so many times, and it's an influential movie. And I think, yeah, if even if you haven't seen Top Gun, you've seen Top Gun. Yeah, I think I did see it before it had, certainly before I had seen loads and loads and loads of parodies of it. So right, I think yeah. I probably saw it in a relatively pure state, in that, like, you know, how it was intended to be seen yes um, the filmmaker's but, intention yeah yes. sorry i don't i mean i guess he i really guess he didn't mean it to be seen on a vhs on a very small television screen in the front room of a belfast living room yeah. <laughs> the ultimate experience <laughs> I don't, i'm pretty certain that he didn't imagine the person watching it to have a remote control that was on a string attached to the video player <laughs> <laughs> but you know, um, but but I didn't have a whole load of build up to it. I did just watch it as a film, and the only thing that I really remembered about that film that stuck with me was was the big death was was Goose dying. That was the only thing I think. That was the only as cack handedly as it is uh, handled. It was the only big kind of emotional beat in the film for me as a, a when I saw it and that was the only one that like when I, I I hadn't watched it in years and years and years and if you'd asked me what happened in Top Gun I was like goose dies that's like the the only thing I could remember yeah. it's not an emotional film is it no it's a very technical film mm-hmm. which I think is possibly a problem with a lot of Tony Scott films and I think we'll encounter it again on Days of Thunder Tom yeah um I th- I yeah. think this film could have been half an hour long, and I think it would have been a much just better the plane, film. just a compilation of plane scenes. Yeah, well, right, but actually, to be honest, you only probably only need two plane. Well, yeah, maybe three, but like you're going to allow us three plane. I'll allow three plane in scenes. Top Gun. Yes. <laughs> okay. Fine. Imagine a really concise half an hour sequence where you start you start off with Tom Cruise and Goose in the plane. Yeah. You basically, have that opening sequence, and yeah. then. Uh, they go to Top Top Gun Academy. There's all the like the cockiness and you know discussions with Iceman, and then you have the scene where Duke Goose dies. You then have him losing all his mojo, and then mm. he comes back at the end, having you know regained that in the second half, in the second fifteen minutes, and uh, <laughs> and shoots down five Migs. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you could do that. Cut, cut out the entire romantic subplot because it's literally irrelevant to the story and has adds nothing. You could do that. Here's the thing, though. You wouldn't have Tom Cruise as we know him today. No. Yeah. 
without this movie, you just don't get Tom Cruise. Yeah, I'm not saying what I've suggested is the financially lucrative <laughs> route. I'm not saying that Tony Scott. Should You're not going to go and pitch that to anybody. No, no, no. I think they made the right decision. I just think that is a way to have a better film. Yeah, that's true. Well, the, the film as it is at the moment, without the the Tom Ashford recut, release the Ashford yeah. cut. Yeah. Um, what would you score it in in our typical letterboxed uh, style scoring? Three stars. Three stars. I'm going to go three point five. I have like a weird amount of affection for it, and of course, Tom Cruise is my boy. Uh, how about you, Laura? Uh, it's it's just made two stars. Oh. Ooh. I nearly Ooh. went one and a half and then I thought Ooh. and then I thought I do enjoy Anthony Edwards in this film Ooh. and but it's I, I think it is I'm sorry to say this but I think it is an actively bad film and I thought it was an actively bad film when I first saw it I have always thought that it was a bad film and it, it baffles me I, you both actually have uh made me understand, I think, a bit better why some people that I otherwise respect really like this film. <laughs> but um, because, I, I mean, I've always understood why, like, massive jocks who love cars and planes and fast things and, you know, the kind of people who walked out of that film and went in and got recruited to the Navy in the, the Navy recruitment things that they put up in cinemas yeah, for crazy the film. And, and you see so, that in me and Adam. Yeah. No, no, you do. Yeah, yeah. You, like so, I can well. Obviously, both of you fit uh, huge jocks, young, healthy men who could really absolutely muscly jocks. Yeah. That's what yeah. we are. That obviously, exactly... listeners can't see us, but you're getting the full. But I'm getting the full thing yeah. of this. I mean, I, I'm getting the entire, the entire. You know, I mean, either of you could be could be the next Tom Cruise. Uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. absolutely. It would be yeah, believable, absolutely. but. So I've always I've always understood those kind of the, the people who I you know who, I, who would fall for the kind of um, the militaristic thing and who would love that and people who feel very patriotic I've understood there's you know it's so shot so through with patriotism, um, but I I never really understood why people who who aren't necessarily like that what they were seeing in this film I've always found that quite hard to understand. So the, for, for for the more perhaps like artistically inclined people, yeah, the, you the, mean, yeah, yeah, the people who you know the fey goths and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> I feel I feel both seen and and mildly insulted at the same time. No, <laughs> I'm including myself in that. I'm, I'm definitely including myself in that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I so so it's interesting to me that. Because um, I find it fascinating, Adam, when you said that you were going to do this series of podcasts. Because I was like, "Wow, what a what a strange choice!" Yeah, I mean, it's weird. <laughs> so to go from like to go from Mannix to this is a strange is a strange leap, and I find it fascinating. So the thing that do you know what the thing that I like about Tom Cruise is almost the same thing that I like about Mannix, uh, even though they are on the opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of like art and reference points and personality which is that uh even if you don't like the the music of Manic Street Preachers if you heard what they were trying to achieve and the way in which they went about it you would at least find them a very interesting band i think uh and it's the same with Tom Cruise if you don't like his movies we we kind of touched on this earlier there's something about him that's very interesting 
Mm. Uh, something that's worth kind of digging, uh, 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 peeking below the floorboards of, <laughs> to, just for a really horrible turn of phrase. There's something going on with Tom Cruise, man, and I want to find out what it is. Um, do you know what I think it is, right? So, yeah, I'm I'm not like a typical, like, jock kind of guy. So this film feels like going on holiday ah. where mm. I can sort of, like, uh, I can enter that sort of realm, like, vicariously in a way. I don't know. I've not really thought about it before, and I haven't – I don't have a way to sort of articulate it. But it is not – I say it's not in keeping with the kind of films that I watch. But, Tom, you and I both have a kind of weird affection for The Fast and Furious Yeah, I was going to say, well. I, I fucking <laughs> love The Fast and Furious movies. You're, like, more hot on them than I am. But – um yeah, t- Top Gun I would never, like, very rarely choose to put on. Uh, I think, like, if I'm looking at, like, my backlog of movies that I've got to watch. So I've got to watch... Um, I want to rewatch The Tree of Life. Yee <laughs> 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 uh, Yee, the Human Condition trilogy is up there. You were never really here. Shoplifters is really good. That's sort of the typical stuff that I'm into. Uh, and I immediately clocked that I think you have a, a skateboard that is a print of uh, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which I is did. like yeah. one of my favourite movies of the last 10 That's years. That's an incredibly beautiful film. So, oh, so my am- so eighties movie, 80 movie, 80s moviedom, uh, to give you an example of that, tomorrow night for my birthday, my husband yeah. has booked out a cinema for me, a private mm. cinema screening to watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> because, wow. because those are my 80s icons. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. That's absolutely. who I wanted to be. So I yeah, I mean maybe you didn't want to be Maverick, but that I think that the film kind of the premise of it is that you're meant to look at these guys and go, I want to be that guy. You know, the classic, I am, yeah. you know, the, the women want to be with him, the men want to be him. That's what he's supposed to be. That's what he's played as in this film. And I guess I wanted to be Ted Theodore Logan instead. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> which is, I think, tells you why that, that uh, this film does not connect with me. <laughs> yeah, that very, very different vibe. I mean, like... I'm trying to think of like 80s movies that I that I really really enjoy and I guess I guess Harrison Ford is my 80s guy. I guess it's Blade Runner and it's Raiders of the Lost mm. Ark and it's uh things like oh god I'm just trying to look at like my fucking top movies. What's from the 80s? Nothing. Stop making sense. It's probably about as close as I get to like 80s movies. Aliens. Goonies? Do you like Goonies? No. I do you know what I do not get on with the eighties in general. Um, mm-hmm. th- th- there is like this whole um, cinema in general kind of becomes very broad in the eighties for me, and there is like so much more focus on the commerciality of American cinema, especially that is yeah. then kind of bucked in the nineties with. I mean, you know all this, like with Quentin Tarantino and all that, and I fucking hate Quentin Tarantino, but he's such a good like uh, thing to hang the nineties movement on. Um, seventies is my my absolute shit. The the forties and the seventies; those are the only decades that I watch. Pretty did, much. Did it come round again thirty years after? Did you like the twenty tens? Uh did I like the twenty tens? Do you know? What? I think I I think I did. I think I did. That's like Social Network and that era, isn't it's, it? It's mostly just Marvel. I, yeah, mm. I got I got real. It's the MCU did, once it starts taking off. 
I've got a difficult relationship with the MCU. Anyway, we can't talk about the MCU again. No. Let's talk about let's talk about Tom Cruise. Let's talk about the cruiseness of the Ooh. movie because I think this has. I'm going to think you're mad if if anybody tells me that this is not ten out of ten for cruiseness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is well over the top. This is the most cruisy, cruisy cruise. It's the full cruise, right? Like, and and so much so that my perception, like I said earlier, is that he was only ever this. Um, and I think the huge success of this film is what leads most other people's assessment to be that he is this. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually think he's a much more subtle performer than that. And the only reason reason that I'm dragging this explanation out is because I really don't want to hear what I can tell what Tom is about to say, which is that he's given less than a ten out of ten for the yeah. cruiseness of this film. I get eight out of ten. All right, so, get stuffed. It's still high. <laughs> it's still high. <laughs> What what could he have done that would have made this more cruise? Flown the fighter jet. Right, or run somewhere, I suppose. Yeah, he, he could have run somewhere. Like, he got plus points for general cockiness. Okay. Like, not in li- This isn't plus points in life, I should point out. Like, plus points in the film for cruiseness. For his general cockiness, the iconicness of, like, you know, need for speed, sort of all that sort of, you know, like the gifable stuff, right? The uh, gifable stuff. The gifable stuff. Yes. Um, and he rides a motorbike a lot, mm. right? These things are mm. pretty key. But yeah, he doesn't actually do many action sequences. In fact, he does no action sequences. I'm telling you though, that's Cruz. He, yeah, we're gonna hit a run of movies here. I don't think he's in an action movie until Mission Impossible now. But that's the thing. I think because of the way of because of the films that I've seen prior to doing this podcast. Yeah. My perception of what cruiseness is is going to be different from your perception of cruiseness because the church seen... of the church of cruise is broad and and welcoming. Exactly. <laughs> so, so for me, you can't really get a ten out of ten cruiseness unless you have that that mania combined with a motorbike, combined with general charisma, combined with actually climbing the tallest building on the in the world. You wait for next week, man. Uh, the color of money is another full cruise performance right. i think you're going to enjoy it but i think it's the thing if, if he goes more manic than in top gun for example which we've seen already we've seen more manic like we have yeah that that for me could push it up beyond an eight without having to do a death-defying stunt that's true that is true this is such a long episode uh <laughs> usually this takes an hour and a quarter uh, I'm so sorry for keeping you, Laura. Uh, it's quite all right. We've got it's a little. <laughs> we've got a little way to go yet. Don't start saying goodbye. No. Um, <laughs> would you recommend this movie, Laura? <laughs> you go first, Laura. Um, it depends who I am speaking to. Yeah. If I am speaking to someone who is currently or may at any point in the future be a member of the military or is very very american then hell yeah you know have at it love that (laughs) film would i recommend it to any of the people who will be standing next to me at one of the many cure shows i go to later this year no i won't okay (laughs) yes that's probably i will not recommend it to any of those people (laughs) (laughs) tom how about you uh I'm going to say, generally speaking, no. Uh, and when I say that I give it a three stars, bear in mind that that is like a generous three stars because it's, it right. is quite iconic and it yeah, isn't yeah. unenjoyable. But like, I don't think it's a great film. I think it's a very average film that's just got lucky, basically, in history. Interesting. And maybe that's a bit harsh to say, get, you know, it got lucky because obviously it 
hits a lot of good beats for its target audience but like i don't think it's that well made a film well what i would say is that critically this is not a hit movie no no so so i would recommend this movie <laughs> I'm smash! I was so angry by the idea that you'd recommend this film. I just knocked my microphone over. Punch the mic! Get fucked, Adam. <laughs> I would 100% recommend this movie, fully expecting that not everyone would like it. But I think if you are interested in film in any way, you gotta see Top Gun. I think it's so ingrained in the fabric of not just movies but pop culture. So much of our understanding of blockbuster cinema in the 80s comes just from this fucking movie <laughs> and and that's a shame <laughs> like yeah. whether you vibe with it or not it's just kind of iconic by default and like i said it was not critically well received it was like mixed reviews but for whatever reason it was hugely hugely successful on a budget of 15 million dollars it took in 357 million <laughs> Which adjusted for inflation today would be nine hundred million. So nearly it's nearly a billion dollar movie. Jesus. It's just a huge hit. I also think the reason I would not feel the need to recommend this to anyone because I presume Everyone's everyone seen has seen yeah. it. Yeah. I like absolutely. I just presume everyone has seen this film. As I say, it was on such a, a tight, you know, a tight loop. It's like I don't know that I uh, trust anyone that says they haven't seen, uh, you know, Greece, the other one that I was talking about, or who hasn't seen Dirty Dancing. People, have, you know, you just have seen all these films. They're just there. Yeah, that's Laura, true. I think Laura, oh, I've not seen either of those films. You've not even seen. I've not seen Dirty Dancing. You've not seen Greece. I've actively avoided both. It's really yes. good. Well, I can understand. That's that's okay. A bit younger and B if you have actually been trying to avoid them then that's that's then you yeah. know, but then there's no point to me recommend them to you because you you already know you don't want to see that fine I'm not going to battle with you over it. I just think that this is this is a film if you if you wanted to have seen Top Gun you've seen Top Gun. Also everybody had it like this broke home release records at a time when it was still like a developing thing like it was still quite expensive to get VHS tapes. I think this was the first VHS that went as low as $27. Uh, and it became the best-selling VHS tape of all time just on pre-orders. And it was nominated for four Academy Awards. Best film editing, best sound, best sound effects editing, and best original song for Take My Breath Away. And that's the one that it won. So this is an Academy Award winning movie. And in fact, the soundtrack is sometimes regarded as the most popular thing about it because it went nine times platinum. It's- which is crazy. The soundtrack is significantly better than the film. So yeah. I think that that's fine. I don't disagree with any of those nominations. Yeah, that's like, true. That's, I mean, that's it is well edited and, and, and the sound is particularly good. I mean, the sound of those jet engines are insane. It's well edited except for the point when Tom Cruise goes away to have a shower and then the next shot is him <laughs> about need, to have a shower. A shower yeah. <laughs> speaking to the same character. I mean, that's why it didn't win, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, following the release of the film, applications to become a naval aviator went up 500%. And, like Laura said, there were recruitment booths set up outside the screenings of movies, uh, of, of, of the movie. Like, crazy. It, it's cultural footprint and legacy, I think, are pretty huge. Like, you've just kind of seen Top Gun through osmosis and it kind of seeps into culture and there were video games and Pepsi adverts. And obviously, uh, there is a sequel coming out this year. Laura, do you want to come back? Do you want to do the sequel with us? 
<laughs> Why not? Let, let's see if I dislike it as greatly as I dislike this one. So I, I also think you mentioned the military impact on it and the, the Im- impact on recruitment to um, aviators in the Navy. I think it is it is an incredibly ballsy move in this film that they go for actually referencing the Vietnam War because this this film to me feels so much like a PR exercise, a two hour advert for you know for the Navy, um, made by one of the the great ad directors, um, and it very much feels like shining up the. Um, the kind of nation's thoughts about their military after a series of kind of you know, Vietnam films and the Vietnam War itself, in which cinema seemed to be telling us all of the time that war is hell, the you know that our 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 kids were being sent off as cannon fodder, all of those those kind of those messages were going through, and for them to actually mention Vietnam and say we weren't managing to kill enough people in Vietnam, and that's why this school exists. Yeah, it's it's quite on the. No- I mean, everything about this film is quite on the nose, but that's so on the <laughs> nose to say like this. This school was about rehabilitating our ability to murder people midair, and um, <laughs> in Vietnam, and this movie is uh, is also like in a kind of cultural context about shining up the the kind of cultural impact of the military, making them acceptable again as a cool thing for kids to want to do. It's a very pro military film, and and it's a film that like kind of uh, purposely, like almost purposely, avoids like prolonged uh, emotional discussion about death. Like any of the characters who die are kind of forgotten about very quickly. Like mm-hmm. like you said, like is Goose even still dead at the end of this movie? Because everyone seems pretty jazzed. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very very pro military. Uh, I don't know what it is about this movie, guys. Like, everything I say about it makes me dislike it. And then when I watch it, I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get joined the fucking the, the Navy. Something something about it obviously does appeal to a broad audience, because I watched broad it with my, my... What? Just say broadience because broadience. It, it, okay, yeah. It, it um, takes less time uh, to say than broad audience, and it just makes the podcast shorter, especially on an episode that's already you know so long. Yeah, but I think I think to some extent you have to explain it to some of the slower audience who may not understand what the term broadience means. That's true. Yeah. Okay, we well, say broad audience. That I'm not fussed. Okay, so okay. it must appeal to a broad audience, also known as a broadience. Great, um, because. Uh, like my wife watched it with me and she uh she's not exactly the sort of person that you would instantly think loves jet fighter pilot sort of mm. movies she gave it four stars incredible and was genuinely like heartbroken she'd seen the film before multiple times was still heartbroken when goose died she'd seen it multiple times yeah. that's not what i would expect of at the beginning wife. of the relationship she was literally just going what, you haven't seen top gun well we've got to watch top gun at some point you do have to watch top gun at some point yeah, i mean that's what i said earlier you've got to watch top gun and, and, and i did <laughs> i've now seen it twice and amazing both times i gave it three stars and she's <laughs> she gives it four i don't well there you go it obviously affects her on a very deep personal level and i yeah. wonder if that comes from having seen it at uh, quite a, a young age and having the opposite uh, reaction to it as as laura did well, that's the thing. I yeah, mean, she- same moment she was into, though. Same moment she was into. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your your wife, though, Tom, is worth pointing out again. Is American. 
Yes, and she did oh. chant, and I'm not joking, she did chant, USA, 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 USA. when, when he, Maverick was climbing out of the uh, the cockpit at the end and everyone was cheering. I, I chant that at the end of every movie. Yeah. Um, as for Cruz personally, in the wake of Top Gun, we're going to go into that next time, because The Colour of Money is released this very same year, 1986, uh, which means we just have one more thing to do. Um which is our game. Uh, only one of us is allowed to have uh, read the trivia on the IMDb page for Top Gun. Um, I'm going to read out three pieces of trivia for Tom. Only one of them is one I've made up. Tom has to guess which is the one, which is the piece of trivia that I've made up. Laura, you can help him with this. You're allowed to confer. Uh, we have a new jingle this week that I haven't heard before. So Tom reckons this is the one we're going to stick with. We are going to play Two Crews and a Lie. Right. Look. It's a game show, mate. It's a game show. It is, yeah, no, I get it. But in many ways, that's the worst one, yes. <laughs> and I can't believe that's the one that you want us to stick with. Look, all right, I'll play whatever you give me every week. That's absolutely fine. Okay, Tom, are you ready? Have you got your, you know, you got your thinking cap on? I'm, I'm in the mindset. Number one, the real Top Gun school imposes a $5 fine to any staff member that quotes the film. Okay. It's number one. Number two. For the opening of the film, director Tony Scott wanted to shoot aircraft taking off and landing on the aircraft carrier backlit by the sun. The carrier captain had changed course of the ship and when Scott asked if the ship could continue on the previous course and speed, he was told that turning the ship cost $25,000. Scott wrote the captain a check for $25,000 so the ship could be turned around and he could keep shooting for another five minutes and the check bounced. Number three. Tom Cruise is three inches shorter than Kelly McGillis but refused to use lifts. Instead, he insisted that a series of trenches were dug for McGillis to stand in or walk through. <laughs> Cruise was quoted as saying, nothing touches my feet, not even God. In later films, Tom would use his Scientology powers to simply hover above the ground, addressing any further height issues. <laughs> Have a think about those. Uh, I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if you can Every single which, week. What do you Every mean? single week I get to the third one and I genuinely think, well, one of these could be... Could be you false. don't know which one it is, Tom. No, I've put them in a random order. You don't know which one it is that's true no. and which one's not. Well, Confer, Laura. though. Confer. Yeah, Laura. Uh, which... How do you feel about number one? So I have actually read number one elsewhere. Oh, this is cheating. She's obviously so, going to know which one is false from having read the trivia page. <laughs> I, to be fair, it was not actually on the trivia page on the okay. It was an entirely different source. But, um, but well, and actually I'd also read that it was the students that got fined. So that would be a very strange way to make it. To make it a, it would be a tricksy one um, to go for. <laughs> so, you know. Interesting. Does that, does that help at all, Tom? Does that uh, help you? No, no. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm really torn. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Give it I mean, a go. I, I can believe, I can believe that Tom Cruise... Can levitate. Mm. I mean, that's that's definitely the most believable element. Yeah, and mm. and she is definitely taller than him because, mm. like her real life counterpart, she's a tall woman. 
I might have put a little bit of truth in one of the lines. You, know, <gasps> oh. you never know. You never know. Also, um, I can't imagine that the check would bounce because Tony would just have to phone up Ridley and go, you made Legend. Yeah. Give me some of that Blade Runner money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, as far as I understood, the military were like, yeah, whatever you need, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Except apparently turning a boat. <laughs> Come on then, Tom. Come on. What's the answer? Uh, I'm I'm gonna have to go with with three being the lie, Adam. Oh, he's good at this game. One hundred percent record so far, yeah. Tom. And I've got a few wrong. So, uh, oh, I mean, yeah, great. Uh, that is how we play two crews and a lie. The 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 outro one's even worse. <laughs> we didn't share the screen, mate, so we couldn't hear it. So, uh, but just take my word for it. It was bad. Well, we're sticking with them. We're sticking with them. Like All right. Okay. Fine. That's we're it. Sticking with them. Great. Um. Oh, guys, what a long episode. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Laura. Where are you? Plug all your stuff. Uh so yes. Um. You can find me mostly uh, in the Big Issue magazine. Um, so buy your copy from your local vendor or go to bigissue.com where you can see a lot of the stuff that I work on at the moment. My favourite thing that I work on at the moment is um, a feature called The Music That Made Me in which I get on uh, brilliant musicians and talk about the songs and musical moments that made them the people that we know and love. And you can get me at, at Laura K. Kelly on Twitter as well, if you want to argue with me deeply about my incredibly wrong takes on Top Gun. Don't go and argue with people on the internet about Top Gun. It's not good look for anybody. <laughs> Strong advice. If you want to come and argue with us about uh, Top Gun, I'm well up for it. Uh, Twitter and Instagram is at CruiseViewsPod. If you want to send in a really long rant about Top Gun, uh, we, we, we'll read it out on the podcast, CruiseViewsPodcast at gmail.com uh so the only thing that's really left to say at the end of this mega episode uh is that your mission should you choose to accept it is to watch the color of money before next week's episode this podcast will self-destruct in five seconds (laughs) 